Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. Each week, we bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian. We talk to artists, musicians, craftspeople, as well as people who help promote the arts in their community. Today, we're going to be talking about, in tribute, to a late musician, Alvin Fielder. He was a jazz drummer and musician and a rock contour extraordinaire, originally from Meridian, Mississippi, and lived in Jackson for many years. He passed away uh, last year in 2019. Uh, but on the line, uh, remotely, we're talking with Chad Anderson, who is was a longtime mentee of, of Alvin Fielder's. He is an, uh, currently the Associate Professor of Art and Design at Jacksonville State University in Jacksonville, Alabama. Chad, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm honored to, to uh, contribute to this discussion for sure. And now you are, uh, you, you're currently working in Alabama, but you are a Mississippi native originally, is that, that correct? Yes, that's correct. I'm originally from Starkville, Mississippi, and uh, uh, an alumni of Mississippi State University, so I've, I've got those ties for sure. I knew the, uh, the late drummer, Alvin Fielder, a musician for many years, tried to get him to come on to the radio show, tried to do an interview with him. He was always had a reason why he couldn't do it, but um, I thought uh, this is not a a substitute, but I wanted to have a, a, a situation where we could talk about him some and, and his legacy. For people that don't aren't familiar with him, maybe you could just kind of give us an overview of who Fielder was and, and kind of his, uh, what he did as a musician. Sure. He, uh, it's very interesting because, um, you know, with, with so-called jazz as a sort of a genre term, the a lot of the affiliation and the creation of the music um, can relate to a number of the larger cities uh, in the United States uh, in, in terms of its creation, evolution, and so forth. And and Alvin, uh, being from Mississippi, and, and really just in art in general, a lot of times people overlook the South and its contribution to, to artistry development um, globally, really. And so um, Alvin was from Mississippi, and We'll talk about this later, but but had had some participation in different cities in the United States and and kind of in the evolution of the music. So what makes him important is his contributions uh, to the development of jazz in America, really, um, through through his different affiliations with different organizations and and really just his life. But being from Mississippi, I think that's really important uh, because a lot of times uh, figures like Alvin Fielder, you know, for various reasons, can can be overlooked uh, throughout history. And Mississippi is known for its uh, musical heritage, of course, but a lot of times the jazz heritage gets kind of yes uh, pushed aside by the you know much you know higher profile. We have BB King, we have Elvis, we have Jimmy Rogers. Right. So uh, Fielder lived in Jackson for many years and worked professionally as a pharmacist. That's right. Uh, as his day job, but he uh, had his roots in Meridian, where his and his father was a pharmacist as well. Is that right? That's correct. A, a yes, and, yeah. and had a store in uh, in Meridian, which was really a very significant thing. In fact, Alvin used to um, we we had many car rides together back and forth to Meridian um, and, and and a lot of other places as well. But I'm honored to have spent time with him to sh- actually and met his father before his father passed away. 
uh, in a in a really great moment. In fact, at one point with with both Alvin uh, and his brother uh, Bill or William, uh, also known as Prof, who taught at uh, Rutgers University, uh, also a significant uh, person who should who should be documented as well. But their father was a pharmacist as well and and had that store there and and that certainly influenced um alvin's outlook on a lot of things in fact when he was very very young he used to tell me that he was he functioned he alvin jr uh, functioned as the family treasurer they would meet i believe once a week i think it was on sundays he said and and the family would get together and go over the family books and he was in charge of of, of that. So, um, if that tells you anything, so at a very young age, he was, he was in the, uh, kind of in the flow of all of that. What did you learn about kind of the, the musical life of that, of the family he grew up in? Well, I know his father played a little bit, uh, and, and as did his mother. And so he, he had, he had that influence there. Of course, he, his, the kind of his, uh, he used to always talk about the, were the not just the jazz influence, but his big moment, the aha moment of discovering uh, figures like Max Roach and Charlie Parker, who were, were of course great American creators of the of this music, particularly within the bebop era. Um, he heard some of those records from a friend who had come back from the war uh, and brought those records back from New York. And so when he heard those at a young age, uh, although not directly a family member, but in the neighborhood, so to speak, he heard that and and knew that was it. It was time to move from from piano. He, he I believe he originally played piano a couple of years in his at his childhood, and then he got a little bored with that and then moved to the to the drums. Certainly after hearing Max Roach. Yeah, Max Roach was his kind of one of his guiding stars in terms of influences. Right? Oh, absolutely, the, the, the late yeah. jazz drummer. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, and in fact, actually, uh, you know, later in life, they, uh, Max, he and Max Roach became friends, you know, through um, having met and, and, and crossing paths. In fact, he used to talk about some years later in Europe, you know, playing uh, music festivals and, and, and playing just either in front or in back of Max Roach on, you know, on a, on a festivals type situation. And so I used to always ask him, well, what was that like, <laughs> you know, to have, to have the, the, you know, someone, a figure like that, who's not only just an influence personally, but I mean, you know, influenced American music, um, changed the vocabulary and, and they're standing just off to your side, watching you, uh, say what you have to say. I mean, that's a, not you know not not many people can share that kind of information so that was a that was a special thing but yeah but it was definitely his his whole life he uh if if you if he talked about drums at all he was of course going to bring up Kenny Clark and and Max Roach and then everybody before that and everybody after uh those yes. those two so you're listening to the Arts Hour on MPV and our guest today is Chad Anderson uh, he is associate professor of art and design at Jacksonville State University, but he is also a uh, former, he was a mentee of the late uh, jazz drummer Alvin Fielder, who's a native of Meridian and lived in Jackson for many years and influenced many, many musicians in in Mississippi and around the world over the years. Maybe let's jump to Alvin's time in New Orleans, which I think he went there not to, originally not to play music so much as to go to school like to, did he go to Xavier yes University? is that right yeah okay. he did and and he studied uh, pharmacology there and 
while he was there in school, um, he, you know, it, it was it was kind of this thing where, you know, he's got the the pharmaceutical, he's, he's studying pharmacy uh, and, and kind of the sort of the, let's call it the, the day life. And then at night, you know, he's not maybe not literally, but but he's not just playing music, but studying because Alvin, you know, Alvin, Alvin is a researcher, uh, was a, you know, we were talking about the history, we'll get to that, but he, he was always uh, searching and, 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 and wanting to know every nuance of, of everything, not just even music. That was certainly in pharmacy and everything else. If you knew Alvin, he was that way about everything from the shirts that he wore and how they were made, you know, all the way to, to, to everything. But yeah, while he was down there in, in school, he was actually studying music uh, at the time. Privately, he he ran across the great drummer Earl Palmer, who actually introduced him to Ed Blackwell. Ed Blackwell was a a, a very probably you know unfortunately not as well known, but but definitely well known in the in the jazz world uh, of, of in terms of musicians and contributions. Uh, he was a drummer uh, based out of New Orleans and um, performed with people like Ornette Coleman. Uh, and, and many others, but but that was a uh, he, he was also a, a figure who was very important to Alvin um, in terms of uh, really kind of you know at that point in time for a couple of years taking him under his wing and and showing him a lot of very particular things that Ed Blackwell you know had under his belt and and Ed Blackwell was a kind of a was definitely influenced by Max Roach as well so they had that triangular understanding of the language uh, within the context of drumming especially. And Blackwell, at that point, he had he was he was from New Orleans. He hadn't let, like he hadn't gone and made it big at that no. point. He was still like a local drummer at the point that Alvin connected with him. Is that right? I believe that's right. Yeah, at that point in yeah. time, and then it was after that that you know a lot of the uh, the, the the history unfolded, so to speak. <laughs> you know, like non-jazz fans would say, think about New Orleans and think about oh, it's such a you know like oh the old tradition you know yeah um, the uh, the traditional music of the of the nineteen teens and twenties. But what did Alvin tell you about his time? That would have been he was born in what thirty six, thirty seven, thirty five, thirty five. Excuse me, thirty five. So he was like it was like the mid nineteen fifties. Yeah, when he was in New Orleans, what was what is what were his remembrances of kind of the club scene and what he was people he was playing with at that time? Well, you know that's a good question and that's a real important thing because uh, you know in, in a in a much longer conversation. But I think you know th- there is this kind of and and it's like the broader term of jazz in particular anyway that there's sort of a uh, or, or really any genre that people have a tendency to sort of pigeonhole it into this one one flavor so to speak. And in in New Orleans specifically, uh, yes, I mean it's an important. Uh, location and and in terms of the the kind of the historical build of the of the or fabric of the music uh, it it is quote unquote traditional and the music still lingers like that today but uh, when he was there and, and especially being affiliated with Ed Blackwell uh, and their interest being uh, more into the kind of the New York uh, bebop language that was. Uh, going on or being developed at that really before that time, but at that, at that time as well. Um, he, you know, there were, there was a cluster of musicians down there. Some people would know the Marsalis name, of course, I mean, Ellis Marsalis, who recently passed away. Uh, there was a, a kind of a pocket of, of, of gentlemen down there who were contributing to that language out of New Orleans, sort of a, a kind of a new New Orleans music. And um, Ed Blackwell was a part of that. As well, so uh, Ed Blackwell and Ellis Marcellus, um, Nat Paralat. I'm trying to think of some of the others 
at that at that moment in time who were contributing to that to that language but they were playing you know a lot of the music that they were writing and playing were coming out of, and and literally were playing or were, were compositions uh that sounded like or were by people like uh charlie parker and dizzy gillespie and and thelonious monk max roach and those those cast of characters did he kind of develop into having some set gigs while he was in new orleans or was he sitting in what was his what was his playing experience like? We generally? didn't talk about that a whole lot, which is really interesting. I mean, of all the years I've, I knew him, you know, I, I think, and, and I would put that more on me than on him, just in terms of a lot of what we talked about in that time period, about that time period were things a little more specific in terms of, of kind of what he was studying with Ed Blackwell and, right. and, and some of the other drummers who at that time he, he had a chance to sort of, sort of study with, but but uh, I know he was working. I don't know how often at that point in time he was actually playing weekly. I would imagine he was, at some, you know, I think he was involved with some of the rhythm and blues uh, bands. I know when he, after he left New Orleans and went to Texas for graduate studies, he also did some playing in some rhythm and blues bands. Of course, rhythm and blues bands then, uh, rhythm and blues is a little different than, it, than what we think of now, you know, but... But at that point, there was that intersection of where a lot of the rhythm and blues uh, players in some of those cities were actually bebop musicians or were traveling through right. from other cities, you know, like New York and, and Chicago and other places like that. And were, right. they were they were a horn player in an R&B band to kind of make rent, but they yeah, were yeah. really a jazz musician. Yeah. Right, right. For sure. Yep. Well, his his involvement in terms of playing, I know was was a lot of a lot of that but you know his studies and his focus was at that point in time toward uh developing his uh, conception and putting together a lot of the the things he was hearing from guys like art blakey and max roach and, and roy haynes uh and 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 important figures like that this is larry morrissey thanks for listening to the podcast version of the mississippi arts hour the show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey. Our guest today is Chad Anderson. He's a associate professor of art and design at Jacksonville State University. Uh, he's a visual artist and a musician, and he's on the line with us talking about the late Alvin Fielder, who's a jazz musician and drummer, originally from Meridian, lived in Jackson for many years. So, Chad, the next kind of big stop in Alvin's musical kind of evolution was his time that he spent in Chicago. Right. Did he go there to play music or was he, did he have some 
pharmacy type work that he was going there for? Yeah, well, the pharmacy now. thing, you know, his uh, th- there was uh, another uh, you know schooling situation, and also um, he he worked as a pharmacist in Chicago for for years for quite some time. So he was up there for that, but of course the music as well. Again, it's that that dual <laughs> the dual edged sword. Talk about some of the highlights of, you know, in terms of, I'm sure he played with many people when he was in Chicago, but I know that was a really uh, instrumental time in terms of his connecting with the broader national and international uh, jazz musician scene. Yeah, that's, that is true. That, in fact, that's probably the, one of the most robust chapters, you know, Alvin, uh, when Alvin went to Chicago, you know, he had, uh, he had some family there, I think some cousins and I remember him telling me that that the you know the first night he went there he <laughs> he went out he asked to go see some music so he went out and and um and he saw kind of several different situations because at that time I mean it was just such a lively scene every on 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 especially in particular parts of town it was just everywhere so so immediately the first night he saw some of the best of the best in terms of Chicago um and you know, I can mention names, uh, that you know, but I, I do remember the main name that that really just got to him was a, a great Chicago drummer by the name of Wilbur Campbell. You know, there were many, but Wilbur was was was, uh, was kind of like the <laughs> sort of that Chicago legend. Uh, not not to lower any other names, you know, before or after, but he was definitely uh, and is, is one to go back and look at. So that was a huge influence at, at, at first for Alvin. But in a broader sense, the what happened in Chicago is that uh, you know just to do a, a broad sweep is he met Muha Richard Abrams, a great piano, uh, pianist and composer, and also a saxophonist, a multi-reed uh, reedsman by the name of Roscoe Mitchell, and others. But but in that in meeting those guys, they well, actually, I should back up because more a better place to start there would be this uh, for the listeners is there's this, a name that that some people might know by uh, uh, Sun Ra, and Sun Ra uh, was was kind of a uh, he, well, he was a pianist actually from Birmingham. He said he was from Saturn, but but uh, but he he had the orchestra and they were playing in Chicago and and I'm shortening this greatly, but but Al managed to tie up with Sun Ra. And and that was his kind of leap into quote unquote uh, the freer music or or more improvisational based or or I hate to use the term avant garde but but those terms were were kind of leaning toward music that was uh, jazz based but more open you know the chord structures were not quite maybe they were a little different or the rhythm was more open there was a lot of things that made it more quote unquote open so after meeting Sun Ra I think he also then ran across those other um, musicians I named and, and Muhal, Richard Abrams and uh, Roscoe Mitchell and Alvin and a few others founded this organization uh, that is historically documented called, uh, they, they referred to it as the double ACM, which stood for the uh, association for the advancement of creative musicians. And that's a mouthful, but it is, it's a perfect name for what it was. And it was a place where, uh, a lot of musicians there who weren't necessarily working all the time because the music was in a little different place, they they formed an organization to be able to create a, uh, it was a nonprofit organization, to create a situation where they could perform and, and compose exclusive music, uh, creative music that 
that wasn't just, in other words, it wasn't just kind of going to gigs and playing the same old kind of stuff. They were really developing uh, this language themselves. And so they formed an organization for that. Um, and, and there was an educational component to it. I think even Alvin in the beginning was a treasurer, once again, uh, for the organization. Of course, yeah. You know, and, and that was, uh, especially in this moment in time, looking back, I mean, that organization still exists. I mean, it's still in existence and they're, they're, still, they're still operating. But I, I think that's an important model to look at in terms of, you know, the arts and creativity. Um, and just, you know, these guys took it over and they, they had to do what they had to do to get, to get the music, not just out there, but to be able to welcome younger musicians in and encourage them to, to study and learn and to be, you know, follow their creativity. So that was a huge, uh, huge, huge factor in not only affecting him musically and, and giving him a chance to uh, be a part of that, but also I think later informs a lot of how his teaching spirit evolved uh, because it was a direct, you know, parallel with that. And the AACM was kind of part of that broader black arts movement. Yes. Uh, that started in the 1960s. And you had groups throughout the country. Many of the big lights of the 1970s kind of got their start in AACM and kind of branched out to Europe and New York. And it, it right. was a, really a, a germinator for, yes. for a lot of people. Very, very important, for sure. Yep. And, and, and again, not... <laughs> Probably not as well. I mean, I appreciate this because it's it's just it's, it's another it's another seed of a moment to be able to, you know, maybe raise some awareness of, of that kind of an organization at, at wherever possible. You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and I'm talking today remotely with Chad Anderson, and we're talking about the life and legacy of the late Mississippi jazz musician Alvin Fielder, who was uh, based in Jackson for many years, but a native of Meridian. Let's kind of maybe just jump out of kind of the uh, the timeline and just talk about him as a as a person and a, a mentor. How did you first become aware of him and how did you get connected with Alvin? Well, what's interesting, uh, again, with the pharmacy thing, he had a you know, I grew up in Starkville and he, he actually had a store in Starkville. Uh, but and this is the, the ironic thing. It was about a block from where I grew up, but I never knew him until after that store had closed and he wasn't even there in town as much. But I only say that to say, if you knew Alvin or anyone who knows Alvin would probably agree with me. I mean, Alvin knew a lot of people. And so he knew, of course, a lot of people around Starkville because of that, um, that business. And later in life, as I, as I found this music or it found me um, and I, and I began a search of just sort of dropping everything else in terms of at least my music studies and, and trying to figure out how to, do, how to find out about this language. Uh, there were some people sort of along the way who I kept hearing his name pop up. It, when he would be described, I, you know, it's sort of one of those things where I think, well, surely someone in Mississippi is not at this level. Or I mean, I, that's a really stupid thing to say. I and mean, I'm from Mississippi, and that's, I'm embarrassed to even admit that publicly. But, but you, you wouldn't, you know, I didn't know about his history and I didn't know how deep that went. And so when I was told a little bit about him, I thought, well, surely not. And even if so, this guy wouldn't waste his time, you know, answering my questions. But to answer your question, a long story very short, um, I finally met him after having been told his name a number of times and how I should track him down. When Dr. Billy Taylor, a great uh, pianist in this music who also has passed away, he he performed at Mississippi State while I was a student there. 
And of course, I made my way in to speak to him uh, because I knew who he was and my classmates didn't know who he was. So I was able to go kind of track him down while he was in for the concert. And Alvin wasn't performing with him, but the drummer uh, in that group was using Alvin's drum. So Alvin was at that concert and was in the back of the stage. And so I ended up meeting Alvin that night and, and, and just really... I hate, I hate to use the term bother, but I just couldn't, I had to, I had to bother him. I wanted lessons. He he didn't agree at first. Uh, he didn't give lessons anymore, really. And I, I later understood what he meant, but, but um, he saw how serious I was. And, and then uh, we exchanged numbers and I began traveling down to Jackson. He used to say, Hey, he, the night we met, Hey, do you, do you come to Jackson often? I said, yeah, I'm there every week. Which was a, a, a it was a lie, you know, two two and a half hours right, away. Right. I, but of course, yeah, come come by the store. He had a store in Jackson. Come by the store first, and next time you're in town, we'll talk. So it went on from there. I, that's a long story, but but we we went from that to um, you know some very intense lessons for several years, and to just becoming you know the beautiful growth of, of of mentorship and friendship over you know that was in 1994. So. Not long ago, but still in the grand scheme of things, a long enough period of time that from 94 until until he passed, we we had a number of great years together. Maybe you could talk a little bit about, of course, there's just kind of all the technical elements of how he, what he saw as the right way to play and, <laughs> right. and that. But what were some, I mean, and, and you, you, since you're also a visual artist, I'm curious about his ethos and stuff as a as an artist, things that you've picked up that kind of, influence you in a broader perspective beyond just playing the drums you know that's i would say the question that you just asked is is the framework for our entire relationship and so it, it'll be hard to answer that as in a holistic way but I, I can say this is that you know even though i formally at the time i was studying with him formally i was studying painting and illustration and then later graphic design and then and the kind of this whole art and design side of my life was in in that field but then i also was was studying music and, and drums and life with Alvin. But to get to your question, one thing that was interesting is Alvin, Alvin was aware of visual art. Like, I mean, he, just like with music, he, he knew, you know, he knew the history and names. And, and in fact, actually <laughs> from an art historic history perspective, taught me about a lot of artists that I didn't know about before. Of course, no surprise there, but, you know, and, and he even talked about how, you know, certain visual work or things even that he saw almost in like a synesthesia conversation where, where he would see or, or, or kind of sense certain shapes or colors when he would play. And so I related to that because that was the same, that was the same thing that I was always sort of feeling. And I didn't have that kind of conversation with most people. So we really connected on that, but, but his, one of the things, you know, a lot, a lot of his, there, yeah, there were certainly specifics about what he taught me in terms of the drums, but really in a huge sense, it was more about just an approach to life of everything from, you know, the importance of, you know, like, why was he a pharmacist? Like, why did he not just play music full time? Like things like right. that, which, which, which affected his music. And, and I say that because he always said no compromise, that you don't compromise the music and art. So you need to do what you need to do to not compromise. Don't, don't let yourself compromise that. So he worked in support of the music. So he didn't just go play anything. He could play what he wanted to play with who he wanted to play. And he could arrange it in a way that, that, that made sense to honor the, the artistry. And so, um, you know, that in a broad sweep, he, 
over the years, he taught me that. And that, that goes beyond just finances. That's, that's understanding culture, that under, that, that's understanding history. You know, when you study, he taught me how to research, how to study. You know, I'm, I'm at the point I met him, I'm already in college. You know, I'm thinking I already know that stuff. But he, he quickly painted that, that, you know, that kind of new path of, yeah, but do you really, you know, and he would say that if you knew Alvin, he would say, yeah, but you must remember, he would always start a sentence like that. <laughs> you have to go back and, and, and really, really see where things came from, what was going on at the time, you know, that the art was being made, whether it was visual art or, or, or music. And so what that did for me was it affected the outcomes of, of how I approached, whether I was standing in front of a canvas or I was designing something or, you know, or, or sitting at the drums, certainly sitting at the drums, you know, it was like, I have to consider everyone who came before me, what they went through, you know, um, and, and approach music in a way that was a very different way than just sort of playing just, just a song or, or however you might normally think about it. So, um, his, his person or his, maybe there's a better way to say it. His overview of everything was just so, you know, he always would say, you have to think globally, Chad. You can't just, it's not just right here. You're responsible for your environment. You have to think globally with all of these things. And so that, if you do that as a, whether you're an artist or not, I mean, I think that that's, that's just, as a human being, if you can approach information that way, then you can ask the right questions. You know, you can maybe get a more holistic picture about things from an informational standpoint. So that's, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's, uh, that, that's kind of the result of just being around him for a very long time beyond just how to play a certain, you know, phrase or a <laughs> how to understand a certain song or something like that, which is not to lessen that. It's just that, that those small things tie into culture. They tie into language. They tie into history uh, and so that when you when you create something, you realize that you're leaving a legacy. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Chad Anderson. We're speaking remotely today, talking about the life and legacy of the late jazz musician and uh, entrepreneur, Alvin Fielder, who's originally from Meridian and lived in Jackson for many years, who passed away uh, last year. Chad, maybe you could talk a little bit about Alvin's, you know, kind of in the years that you knew him, you know, the 90s forward. He was still working full time as a pharmacist, but he was also 
you know, out on the road when he could be. So how did that, talk about how that worked. Again, he, no compromise. So he, some might think it would be uh, to not go full time, but he, you know, he, I mean, I believe he loved being a pharmacist. Otherwise he wouldn't have, have continued doing it so long. And he certainly had the respect for his father and the legacy of his father, but he, um, I saw him, you know, it was a real important thing as a student of, of his and, and a human being and an artist to see how that worked. And, and what he did, you know, it, well, let me add to that is that the, a lot of the people like, like Kid Jordan, uh, Joel Futterman, the, the musicians that he often collaborated with were not local. They were not living in Jackson as well. So on top of the other complications, it wasn't like he could just get on the, you know, get in the car, go over and rehearse stuff at the house and then just kind of make a few concerts. You know, it wasn't like that. So to, to, to get back to how he did it, he, you know, he, he had his sort of work schedule, but he, because he didn't, he really wasn't focused on playing and he didn't really care to play in nightclubs, you know, wherever they existed. He was more interested in concerts and, and, and cultural performances and things like this. And so festivals and, and internationally as well. So what he did was he would, he would drive everywhere all the time. So he, he would work, but then whether it was on weekends or, or, you know, if he had to, maybe it, it caused a schedule rearrangement, he would fly, he would drive, uh, he would travel extensively over those years to perform. Well, I put it this way, he had a choice and that was the important thing. So uh, he and, and uh, Kid Jordan, uh, the great saxophonist uh, from New Orleans, uh, and Joel Frutterman, a pianist from uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and, and other William Parker, uh, based out of New York, a bass player. A lot of those, uh, that, that little cluster especially, they would either you know meet and play, say like at the New Orleans Jazz Festival or, or in New York at the Vision Festival or in Europe. And so, you know, again, the question is, how do you do that? Well, you, you, set, you set up your professional situation such that you can have that kind of flexibility. And so he had the ability to work during these days during the week. And then he, when he was off, he would, you know, a, a schedule or arrange for those kinds of opportunities. Working at the Arts Commission, we got connected and he would, you know, call me randomly from the, from the pharmacy, <laughs> right. and, you know, say, did you see that concert on BET last night? And then that would just be his excuse to like, lecture me for like 45 minutes about sure, yeah. <laughs> New Orleans jazz drumming or, you know, whatever was his interest at that exact moment. Well, like, you mentioned calling from the pharmacy and that was a thing. There, there's a, I used to, you know, even during his lifetime and, and certainly after his passing, I always sort of chuckle and laugh and say that aside from the book that has to be written on Alvin, there should be the, the definite either second book or chapters of the, the pharmacy conversations because those were that's a whole other segment but that's a that that was a such a significant part of his life and and you know I don't think that I, it would be interesting to see what what it would have been like if he had stopped doing that sooner I know at one point he re, he finally retired um and and actually I, I'll jump in and say this he over the years had had uh, several health issues one of a significant one was in around 2007 and 2008 at which point we didn't know that, you know, in fact, he told me, I don't think I'm going to be able to play again. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I said, man, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think that's right. <laughs> Cause if you know, Alvin, Alvin's a, was a, was a determined and very stubborn, uh, in a beautiful way, a very positive way, uh, creative person. And so I knew that just couldn't be right. And what's, what's amazing is, is that after that uh, he, you know, as, as close to death, 
as he was, after that, uh, he, I feel like he probably was on the road and traveled more, especially internationally, uh, back and forth, flying all over, playing at that chapter at the end of his life between, uh, what was that, 2008 or so, maybe, maybe by the time he got a little better, 2009, up through, let's say those last 10 years, he was working just all over. Uh, and that's just, to me, again, that's just, any time that I've felt frustrated, I, I just look at that and go, you know, if that man could do that, <laughs> you know, you need, you have to keep pushing, you know, there's no, you, you have right. to, you have to put it out there. So he was just really, and if you look across his life, that was, again, that's his personality. That was the thing about him that he, he never, no compromise. You don't give up, you don't give in. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at when he first graduated his pharmacy studies, he was 19, he was too young to even practice. Um, so he had to work with his father until he was 21 to, to sort of do his own thing, but, but that didn't stop him. So that just rolled over into everything else, um, and, and how he approached music and life and, and knowledge. Yeah. That's a little bit of a, a diversion there, but I, but it's not, cause I think that's important for the, for the listener to maybe know that about Alvin, that was, you know, especially as an artist, if you're a, a younger artist that you just, you, you have to look at the big picture and you can't, you know, it's not just about that. You have to set everything up along the way to make sure that, that you protect the art as well. You're listening to the Arts Hour on MPB. I'm Larry Morrissey, and we're talking with Chad Anderson uh, about the life and legacy of the late jazz musician, drummer Alvin Fielder. One of the things that, uh, you know, I'm more my more limited contact with him, you know, um, was just his great, you know, and you've hit on this, his great sense of history and how everything was connected. Sure. I would ask him about some contemporary jazz musician, you know, something about the uh, drummer's style or something, and he'd say, it, it, invariably he'd be like, well, you have to go back and look at, and then he would name, you know, yeah. <laughs> this 1920s New Orleans, like, you have to look at Zooty Singleton's press roll, for uh -huh. example. You yeah. know, this, and and he, would, he, he, he saw those interconnections, and they just, he went back and forth across the timeline constantly. Yeah, and you know it's funny because I, I I used to get so frustrated with that when I was first when I when I well you know and plus his personality when I first met him and when you first met him it was a little intimidating but but he of, yeah. co of course as I got older I I I mean and definitely now even more now I mean that's the joy and sweetness and sorrow of life and and death is that you life keeps going and so even in his passing I still. I'm still realizing and seeing the unfolding of those exact pieces of information. I mean, I'm hearing young guys now and I think, oh yeah, you know, okay, well, so that's why he is doing this and that's why he's doing it. And, and I'm talking about the young guys. And what's interesting is, is that what, what it is, is I'm, the music is changing and it's changing because the times are changing. And so, you know, I, I was with him many times at the New Orleans Festival afterwards where we would watch some of the, 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 you know, slick younger guys and by younger, they're older now, you know, of course, but, and, and I would just be like, man, these guys are amazing. And he'd say, well, you know, but, but, but it's, this is surface level or this is that, you know, and he wouldn't overly criticize it, but he would just be quick to point out that, that, that this is where, where they were kind of in their journey, so to speak. And he could hear all of that and sense it and being a kind of an elder statesman, he could, he could point that those connections out like that, but 
But what I didn't really realize was how much that really truly does connect to the change in times and the language of the times and all of that. So when I hear these young guys now, you, you know, it's it it's it still does. The ones who are really invested, you can hear those that where that language came from. That, those echoes that go through. Absolutely. Poem. Right. For for and, and really this. So again, so-called jazz, the music, it's not that old. I mean, it, it's old to us in sort of the way we perceive time, but in the in the grand history of things, it's still a young. I mean, the art form is 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 young, you know. So, but it, it takes it still it takes a lot of, uh, you know. You could just that, that for the for the average listener, they don't have to know all that stuff. But but again, uh, you know, I think Al's probably counter to that would be, but but you, you know, you you need to approach it in the sense that you should you, you've got to respect where kind of, of how, how the language is developed and, and kind of what, what creates the thing. I guess it's like food, you know, you can just go enjoy food and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to, if you really have a dish that you love, um, sometimes it can make you love it a lot more if you understand where all the ingredients, you know, kind of sort of came from and why they're used or combined that way. Well, thinking forward kind of about his legacy, I know that there was a, um, you participated in a concert in Memphis yeah, earlier this year. That's right. That was kind of a, a tribute to him. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, saxophonist Chad Fowler, uh, who sort of returned, he he was a not he's about my age. Was based out of kind of the Memphis scene for a while. Uh, lives in Arkansas now and has started a record label. It kind of left music for a while and then kind of came back to it. And he he was responsible actually for putting together and recording the last recording session that Alvin had and uh, under the sort of uh, the the group name of Doppelarians and they I'm trying to remember how I think it was a couple of years ago a couple of summers ago they recorded that and then that was released uh, more recently and that concert back in February of this year was actually the the CD release party I guess you could call it for that recording the problem of course was that we lost Alvin in that kind of that 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 span of time while that thing was being uh, produced and put out so when it kind of came time to do the to think about how they were going to put this out in the concert that they were planning you know the, the question came up of well, well you know unfortunately Alvin's passed so what do we do and Chad who was a member of that group contacted me and and asked me if I would perform you know sort of fill in the chair and I hate to say that because I I, I will leave this earth saying I could never fill Al's chair. I mean, that, you know, you, you can't, <laughs> uh, it, it's just, I love him too much to say that there's, there's no way, but, but it was an honor, a huge honor. I mean, of a lifetime to, to, to play that concert and, and just, you know, and I was so nervous about it. Uh, we, we did it in Memphis, uh, because that was a kind of a place where all of the guys could come together. A lot of the folks in that, in that group were, were based in that area, but we also brought down, um, William Parker on bass from New York, who was on that recording. And because Kid Jordan, the saxophonist, couldn't make the the concert because of health reasons, uh, we brought in a uh, former, well, he's still a double ACM member, uh, Douglas Ewart, uh, down from uh, Minneapolis. And so he, he came down and we did the concert. It was a blast. But it's so funny. I was so nervous when we walked up to play and and Al's wife was there. Dr. London Branch, uh, also a great mentor and friend, was there. I mean, it was just, it, it was just a beautiful moment. But I, I literally was sitting down to play, and the concert was about to start. 
and I was really nervous about this. And you know, it's funny. It's like I heard Al say what he told me a million times was, uh, ah, Hey man, just play, just, <laughs> just play. <laughs> That's it. And so I just played, you know, and we, and it, and the music, you just, in other words, you play the music, the music is going to go where it needs to go. If you just let go. So we had a really beautiful concert and it was recorded and videoed. So it's documented very well. And, and I believe is going to be released uh, in the future. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Thanks for that, for that uh, description. I'd be interesting to think about like there was, there was many mentees of Alvin Fielder over the years sure. that I met. And it, it would be wonderful to see some type of effort to kind of put his legacy into the, you know, into some kind of permanence in some way. I don't know what that would be. I don't know if you've ever given that any thought. I have, I have. And in fact, I, I, um, not to take up a lot of time, but I, I thought, you know, even when Alvin was alive, I, I, I wanted to work on documenting his life more. I mean, others have done that, you know, uh, certainly in pieces. And he was very reluctant to allow that because it just, that, that was Alvin, you know, he, he just, that wasn't, Really, and he he would rather me or anyone else spend time maybe focusing on drummers to his elder musicians who who were still alive who should be documented. He always took the light off of himself in that way, so he didn't want that. But but I yeah, and and you know, in terms of those who studied with him, I you know that's a that that might be a good approach to rethinking about how to you know help add more to the context of of who Alvin was. Uh, so that it can be carried on in the future. And, and certainly I, I'm, I'm talking to his wife a bit about some things that I know that she's interested in doing. And, and there's, there's a lot of material that he had himself, uh, you know, recorded documentation uh, from his sort of musical chapters in life. And, and there, there's so much that can be done that could really add to the historical picture that I think is important not only to Mississippi, but also to this music and, and really kind of even to help go to do what Al wanted, which is to go beyond just his name and just his legacy, but to, to use that uh, to help fill in the gaps where there may be gaps in the, in the greater historical conversation. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.